0: Hey, folks, welcome back to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Kukaro, and my returning guest is Dr. Sharna Prasad, doctor of physical therapy, and one of my favorite people in the world. And we are here to talk about pain. So, Sharna, how are you doing today?
1: I am doing great. What are we talking about today, Kevin? We're
0: going to talk about something that I never, ever talk about. and um, And what I mean by that is there's a couple topics I typically avoid, and I have done it for years. I don't like to talk about this specific thing because I think it tends to derail the conversation. And so um, you probably can guess what that is, but for those who can it's opioids. And the reason I don't like to talk about opioids is because it muddies the water when it comes to talking pain. Uh, there's so much um, tension around that word that once we start opening the discussion, or once the word opioids is even introduced, people tend to turn off. Like They already have their set beliefs. They already, they already have exactly what they, they want to believe or what they hope to believe. Um, and there's a lot of prejudgment associated with it, meaning uh, people think that the, to talk about science in some way either legitimizes or delegitimizes the use of opioids. And instead of being able to see opioids as part of a greater conversation on that. So I don't like it. I have had some experiences in the past where I have talked about opioids um, or briefly mentioned them and completely derailed the lecture. Uh, when we were doing work on the chronic pain task force for Oregon Health Authority, it was a subcommittee or sub task force or, of um, the health evidence review commission for Oregon Health uh, uh, Authority. I worked really hard with that commission at the beginning to say, we're not, we can't talk about opioids. I was overruled. And what happened with that as soon as the opioid came out, like as soon as we had the words opioids in that commission thing, everything else was, was sandbagged. I mean, no one looked at anything else. It was all about this discussion of opioids. So why am I bringing this up for today's episode? And it really comes down to, um, I do a monthly webinar at thepainwebinar.com. And that is a free live training. It's mostly for clinicians, but I have people who are really sort of engaged in this that attend. And um, I always ask for questions to be submitted. So what are your questions, and as we do the presentation, I'll, I'll kind of go through those at the end if we have time, uh, and this one was sent in by an individual, and it uh, the summary was really regarding people on, on chronic opioids. How can one best convey or convince our patients that there are better options and only, ultimately opioids only make their pain worse in the long run? And... During the discussion that we had, or I should say when I was relating that question back, I kind of realized that this is something that we need to be talking about more because there's so many non-prescribers that are involved in the pain field. And my response to, to this question was basically this. If you, aren't, if you do not have prescriptive authority, then don't go into that space. And what I mean is don't make those interactions with your clients or your patients about opioids are right or opioids are wrong and you need to be doing this or not. That is outside your circle of control. What that doesn't mean is you don't go, oh, that doctor's horrible, they should be prescribing you opioids. Instead of the thing is just, hey, you're here with pain. I know you're struggling with either what, what, your, what your prescriber's doing and whether opioids or not, but in this space, what can we do to help you? And um, so I'd like your kind of comments on that because I know this comes up quite a bit But I am firmly of the opinion now that if you are not, if you don't have prescriptive authority, you're not making, you know, don't say, oh, they should be writing them. Oh, don't say you shouldn't be on them. What you do is just kind of stay within that circle of clinical control that you have and focus on helping the person in front of you with the tool set that you have. So,
1: Well, here's how I deal with um, this. I, I say I'm a physical therapist. I don't have any control over your opioids that and I feel very grateful for that that I don't have any control over your opioids but what we um and your that's between your physician and you but I totally hear you I totally hear that you've been taking these opioids for 20 years and you're you're being told that we're the doctors are talking about tapering the opioids and that is hard for you I hear that I also want you to know a couple of other things that, is it okay if I share with you a couple of other things, how you can produce opioids, how your body can produce opioids? Is that okay for me to share? He's like, yeah, but I cannot reduce my opioid. I said, you know, remember this conversation is between you and your physician and I support you and your physician and whatever you guys decide, that's up to you, right? But let me talk to you about things we can do to um, improve the, um, you know, the pain medication that you can create inside you, right? It's naturally produced. And then I will go into my discussion of um, the drug cabinet in the brain. You have a drug cabinet in your brain that's open 24-7 and there's no copay and it's accessible 24-7. So they're like, well, what are, you tra- what are you talking about? I was like, well, let me tell you. And then I have this little handout of a drug cabinet in the brain, and I pull it out, and I say, okay, so let's talk about the first one, It's endorphins. What is endorphins? Let's break it down. Endogenous morphine. And uh, have you heard of the term endorphin? And they're like, yeah, I know what endorphin is. I said, like, what is it? And they'll say, well, you know, when you work out or you run, you get endorphin. I said, exactly. It's like the runner's high. You also get endorphins from laughter. So they're like, huh, your body is amazing. It's got this amazing ability to produce morphine. And then I was like, okay, let's go to the next one. Dopamine. It's dope. Right there, it's in the name. It's dope. You get natural dopamine from things. And then I'll go into, if you make a list and you mark things off, that's a little bit, bit of a dopamine. You are a gardener and you go and buy plants. And you buy 10 plants and you get this real high that i bought all these plants so then i'll give them my example that my big dopamine was from estate sales i would see an estate sale sign and my car would just turn automatically this this is like it had an automatic drive and it would just go there and i would pick up all this junk and bring it home and um i'm like why did i buy all this but that was my dopamine hit it was this reward hormone i explained that to them that's reward and you get that from all your hobbies and you get it from exercise and movement Um, But dopamine also has the other side of it. You can, you know, marijuana, cocaine, heroin, uh, meth, that also is on a dopamine um, uh, scale. So balancing that up, And then I'll talk about serotonin and how you can get serotonin by, you know, being in the sunshine and being um, in a safe environment, the gut. How eating good food can change your serotonin and serotonin breaks down to melatonin, how it can affect your sleep. So we'll go into this whole big discussion of these different um, uh, chemicals that are produced in your brain and they they can relate to. Some of it, and then they start getting it. So you're telling me that that is the reason why I should be moving. I said exactly. But well, what is movement, and what is meaningful to you? And then we'll go back to that, and then we'll talk about oxytocin and you know hugs and touch and how um, touch is so safe. Touch is so important. So that's my big spiel. Whenever the opioid conversation comes up, I'll go into my drug cabinet in the brain.
0: But what what is absolutely beautiful about that? There's a couple things. One, you ask permission. Right? so that there's less psychological reactance because you're not telling anymore. What you're doing is you're asking permission for you to, uh, to deliver that information. Right? So there's a, there's a control aspect in there that's really, really important. Um, one of my favorite things about like, maintaining a sense of personal control is just, that, is just what you said, is asking that question. May I, you know, Can I give you this information? Is this something that you would be interested in? And then the second thing what I really loved about this is that you took a loaded subject, which is opioids, and then rather than doing this kind of bashing the heads against together, you're right, i wrong, which doesn't serve anybody anything well, you immediately took that. Well, okay, we know opioids are important. Well, let's talk about the things that are under control to optimize your natural opioid system. And it's that beautiful bridge that you just did that then is returning this idea of a sense of control over what they can do Provides a reason why for a lot of the things that we're recommending that people don't understand why you know why are you telling me exercise when I move it it, I I just have more pain or I have disc degeneration it makes my back worse well you're moving because of this and when you do this you're going to have natural endo uh, endo, uh, endogenous opioid release you're going to have natural endocannabinoids which is also what they're kind of discovering here you know the natural marijuana in your body.
1: And it, it, natural
0: and dopamine, that's it, and that's... natural dopamine. And then uh, you tied it to all of these important things with serotonin and food, where all these healthy lifestyle behaviors are in your sense of control. You're framing it to what your client has told you is important to them, i.e., the exogenous substances at this time. And then you're um, uh, uh, providing what we call a reason why. So, when we're delivering or giving somebody health information, and we're going to do it in a way that is at least somewhat persuasively, and everything that we deliver is going needs to be in some sort of persuasive manner for people to buy into it. It's not manipulative. It's just the way that human communi- uh, communication is. The reason why, because this is what you should do. Here's the reason why you should do it. And if you don't have that second piece, which a lot of times we ignore in health court, or we, oh, we just simply assume that people know it, like, oh, well, we know that when you move, you're going to have natural uh, you know, endogenous opioid release and you're going to have an endocannabinoid release. But a lot of our clients don't nec- recognize that stuff because they don't have our educational background. So if you are affirming your statement with the reason why, there's a more buy-in from that individual as well. So I, I love that. And the other part I really liked about your response was, the passion came through, right? So a lot of people would hear someone hearing about that struggle with, oh, my, you know, my, my physician's going to stop writing opioids, and then they would think like, well, I need to justify that or not, or justify the decision, or maybe I need to create some sort of sense of allyship with my patient by saying, oh, that doctor's so horrible. You completely sidestep the whole thing. And then went down the path, which is, here's all the cool stuff about pain that you can do that's in your control. So beautiful, and I can see why your patients love you so much.
1: Yeah, sometimes they don't, but that's like, <laughs> that's a different story. There are times, um, well, I have to share this story because this has not to do with opioids, but if, if this patient came to me and said, um, I went and saw a therapist um, four years ago, and I had uh, 20 manual therapy sessions and that therapist fixed me and I was great for four years. But now my pain is back and I need you to fix me. And I said, whoa, 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 I don't do the fixing part, but I can refer you to some of my colleagues who are, you know, who still do that kind of work. And she said, uh, "Well, no, we've spent so much time getting to know each other. I'll stick with your way of treatment, but i'm I'm really reluctant about that. I need to be fixed. Mm-hmm. So we we ended up talking, and you know, three visits later, she's ready to be discharged almost. So you know, it's it's uh, it's there's a lot in pain that are. We talked about it last time about our co-workers understanding and, um, you know, going through the whole process. And, you know, we this lady. Also, I told she was not on opioids, but I talked to her about how your pain can get better by doing these things. And she was she had a buy in into the movement part anyway. So it was really easy for me to move her into that and you know that self-judgment also and that self-deprecation that is another piece that i've been working on a lot is that, that self-compassion piece mm-hmm. um and um you know basically it's a fight and flight that we um create on our own selves because we are so hard on our, our ourselves so that piece um, that stress piece is addressed. I'd like to address that as well with the drug cabinet in the brain.
0: Well, and we'll definitely bring that up because the, the, the stress-pain inter- interplay is so critically important um, and so fascinating. They, and they just mesh. When you understand both of them very, very well, like each one of those pieces, if you understand stress really, really well, it can it can dramatically change not only your personal but your professional practice. And if you understand pain really well, it can dramatically change your per- personal and professional practice. When you put them together, it's like supercharged. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it is supercharged. Yeah, but I I want to hold that off because there's about six different talks we could do right there.
1: Because <laughs> I you Hi. know
0: I love them. I I, I love I, I love the interplay. Do. It's just super 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 fun but you know that you know it's interesting though and this also brings up um and i don't think we talked about this previously but the idea about burnout in clinical care and uh, recognizing that there is this mass amount of burnout and we can call it moral injury or burnout or whatever regardless whatever people are feeling a sense of a lack of control over outcomes which is in many ways a feeling of personal responsibility for things that are outside of their realm of control as a clinical, uh, as a clinician. And, um, one of the things that's important about understanding pain is the more you understand the science and you embody it. Certainly happened for me. And I certainly happens with, I'm trying to think of everybody that I've known that has really sort of gotten it. Like when it clicked that you may still get stressed at work. You may still have bad days, but that 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 overwhelming burnout of clinical clinical interaction when you're feeling like I can't help people seems to go away. Uh, it it changes that dynamic. So I, I, how are your per, your experiences with that?
1: Absolutely, hundred percent on that. Because um, I you know you and I have known each other for what five years, I think five or six years, something I'm like that. A little that.
0: older than that. I mean, a little more longer, maybe closer to six. I think.
1: Closer to six, yeah. yes, but I, I remember at that time when when I got to meet you, I was in a lot of pain myself, and um, I was in the chronic pain cycle, and I was in a very frustrated place that, um, A, I didn't, I had so much pain myself, I didn't, I wasn't enjoying my job, I was in complete burnout, um, and this whole thing of, um, like, I was an imposter, what, what am I treating people with pain when I can't take care of my own pain. And then I had coworkers who would say that, Well, you just live with it, you manage it. And they had pain also. And I was like, you know what? There there has to be more to this than what we are because if we are treating hundreds and hundreds of patients with pain and we're not giving them I mean, we're not there's not that full buy in, that embodiment you talked about, then really what are we doing it just didn't feel right and then of course i never shared with you that i was in pain because i wasn't sure um uh, you know who you were a physician you're in another tribe i'm a pt hardcore you know so i didn't never share with you but it uh over time it took me almost a year and a half to really understand what you were saying about pain which was really once it clicked i was like Oh my goodness! This is what Kevin's been trying to tell me forever. So yes, you are absolutely. You know, um, my life has changed completely because I look forward to seeing my patients every day. There is absolutely no burnout. I was talking to my boss about that. Um, that we do this photo scale, which is the functional outcome. Oh, I don't know what the, what the <laughs> therapeutic outcomes or something like that. FOTO is what it's called. It's a thing we do when the patient comes in. It's a big computerized thing. It takes them 10-15 minutes to fill out, and the outcomes in there is they predict from based on the national outcomes that this particular patient with this kind of disability will need about 12 to 15 visits, and their score will go from 38 to 55 in you know 15 visits we're currently beating that score in like three to four visits. Mm-hmm. So it's really nice to see that, you know, the reports that are coming out from that, that, that it's, and we're not doing any magic. There is no magic. It's just the knowledge. So there, there's this big camp out there about teaching pain science to our patients. And I, I have a, I have a different approach to that. I feel like it's not about teaching pain science to the patient. It is teaching pain science to the clinician. Because if the clinician completely embodies the science, then they're sitting in front of this patient and they're helping them understand their meaning of pain. And that's all the patient needs. Mm -hmm. It's just that little bit of that pivotal role. And that's all we have to do. But, but the training is in the clinician, not in the patient. The patient gets it right away if you meet them where they are.
0: And I, I, I totally agree. And, and the, the idea, like, we're, clinicians have this kind of under, this idea, kind of a misattributed attributed idea that you take pain science and then you poke people with it, right? It's, it becomes the intervention. And it isn't an intervention in the way like math is not an intervention. Math is a tool that you use. If you're an engineer, you need all this advanced math knowledge so that you can solve the problems that are presenting in front of you. And pain science for the clinician is the same way. It's almost like the math of, of these interactions. It provides you this tool set. And the other power behind it, as you kind of led on here, was that we know that every pain is unique. And if you think that you have an intervention that you can use in the same way for every person, when every person's pain is unique, you're in trouble. Yeah. But if you have that, that, that kind of embodied experience then, then you realize, well, this person's pain has these characteristics, these are little things that we need to work with, this is the, the meaning that they need to understand with it, this is the little kind of bridge points that we are gonna build some points of awareness around, like why does this seem to flare here or there? And then that becomes, from a patient standpoint, you know, like you said, that's all they need is to understand their pain in relation to them and the current context environment that they're in. They don't need to know everything else about pain.
1: Exactly. Exactly. There's absolutely no need to go into ion channels and this and that. I mean, there's just so much out there in our PT world about, you know, pain neuroscience, explain pain, explain pain. I, 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 I can't buy into it. I just <laughs> cannot buy into explaining pain because I think the explaining pain is for the clinician. And, you know, the whole, the Larmers book and David Butler's book, Explain Pain Supercharged, is to explain pain to the clinician. The clinician needs to have that knowledge so deep it's like the iceberg you know that depth of knowledge so that when the what comes out for the patient is just that tip of the iceberg that's all that needs to come out and and that explain that you know meaning of the pain to that individual person and it's so complicated right but so simple it's so complicated and so simple it's just just mind-blowing
0: yeah, and that brings up a whole other conversation then because I mean we've talked about this both online and offline, is it's also really hard to get clinicians to be willing to engage in the work necessary to learn the skill set. I don't it's it's just so interesting to me is that people will they, they get this little bit of superficial stuff and they're like, oh, Okay, I know it all. Now I just need to go apply it to my patient or you know what I, I I've heard all that stuff before. Right. And I'm like, my thing is this, if you're still like super struggling and if you're still having these really confrontational interactions and if you still feel frustrated when your patient walks in with pain and you don't know what, you're, what, what kind of things that you can open up and, and, and engage with them or how to connect with them, or if you're still perceiving your client or your patient as a, in, an antagonistic ma- manner, like, oh, this one's drug seeking and this one's legitimate, this one has right, real pain, right, right. you know what, you probably don't understand pain. So maybe take a step back and actually really engage with this stuff. You know, I have a lecture, you've seen it, I don't know how many times, and I've even started to say, I go, I am talking about these foundational key concepts over and over and over again. I know some of you have seen this talk five times, 10 times, 15 times, but the reason that we're talking about these basic foundational concepts is because this is the foundation, and if you just get these couple of things, two, three things, and you learn them really, really well, then you have that structural framework that everything else starts to build upon, and then you can get as in depth as you want, or you can back off and just use the clinical tools that are really in your that you have right now. Um, anyway, it's but it's really hard to get people to get that buy-in.
1: Yes, yeah. yeah. I and. and did not think it would be that hard to be honest <laughs> i did not think it would be that hard to um, change your peers um thought, you know behaviors and whatnot because i was like oh here's the evidence what is wrong but as we know knowledge does not change behavior mm-hmm. we've, we've known that for years so um it's so much more complicated than that and um yes there's a lot of work to be done and I am just grateful for all the work you have been doing nonstop because I gave up on my peers and colleagues. I was like, eh, I'm not doing all that. I I do my own thing, you know, the Oregon Pain Summit and all that, but I'm not going individually to people and challenging their belief systems. If they come to me, uh, that's good enough. Sometimes they'll refer all the complex patients to me because, you know, it's the acute patients that are really easy for them (laughs) to treat, but the complex (laughs) ones are... You know, it's like well, I don't know what to do with this. You know, this guy's like talking this, 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 and this. I, I don't know what to do. They're like, okay, well, you know what? I'm, I'm fine with taking them. But do you want to le- Do you want to hear what what I did? And that's the conversation we have. And slowly, it's a very slow process, but. Um, I used to go really, like, boom, okay. and I learned that, that that does not work because I think uh, it's that um, there's a really cool video. Um, it's a two-minute video on the writing reflex, that the more you try to write someone and say what you're saying is wrong, wrong, the more, and this is for a patient, the more they, you know, it, it reinforces that, that, the other behavior. So I don't go there at all. I was like, yeah, well, I'll help you with
0: your patient that's fine <laughs> well i i love that and there's a lot of a lot of additional places that we can talk about with that but uh, we will hold that for another episode here and so everybody out there thank you for joining us at straight shot health talk and today's pain chat with uh, dr shana prasad again one of my favorite returning guests uh as i mentioned earlier there is free monthly training that you can get at the painwebinar.com and it's live once a month um, and there's some other options for record options there as well In the interim, if you have questions, comments, or you would like to have us address a certain topic, you can email me directly at drkevin at straightshothealth.com. And until next time, stay well.